Hey y'all, this is Whitney, and welcome back to another episode of Spastic Chatter. If this is your first episode, Spastic Chatter is a platform meant to feature those in the cerebral palsy community, and I get together weekly with individuals with CP, like myself, to have a censored chat, if you will, about what it's like living with this type of disability. And for this week, I have Tyler, and uh, I took the Instagram again, guys, to find guests, like I always say, and Tyler's profile stuck out to me because he's, he's uh, all his pictures are doing cool activities, and his uh, bio says, professional stunt gimp on a clothes course, do not attempt and so i was feeling this is going to be a really cool conversation uh so uh tyler if you want to introduce yourself and then we'll get on to the discussion so sure sure so my name is tyler rich i am 29 years old i live with spastic diplegic cerebral palsy and i like to characterize myself as a multidisciplinary adaptive athlete that's awesome. So, um, I kind of what I I always do this. My guess I kind of take it. I want to take it back to your to your childhood because, uh, like I mentioned before this call, and I kind of mentioned on every episode, uh, cerebral palsy is widely known for it being a childhood disability. So, um, thinking back to your, how was your childhood growing up, CP? Was it any was it any different than like you would you would think a normal quote unquote normal childhood would be? I mean, not really. Um, credit where credit is due. My parents are really rad people. Um, if ever there was something I wanted to do, I was never told no, you know, but I was explicitly told, all right, you want to do X, Y, Z thing? Figure it out. That's kind of like, that's kind of how... I, that's kind of how, uh, how my parents were. I think we, I think we're gonna have a lot in common because, like, um, just from like looking at your, looking at your profile, like, I have a twin and uh, two, a twin and two other, two other siblings, and I did everything that they did. I, they, we just adapted, we just adapted uh, what I, like how I did stuff, like. For an, uh, for, um, and looking at your profile, you're like, like into kind of, kind of like ex- extreme type stuff. And like my sister raced, my sister raced uh, motocross. So my legs are like, my legs are spastic. So when, when I would get on the foiler to go, to go, to go, uh, to go like on the track with her, we literally duct tape duct tape my legs to the boiler so that like they wouldn't so that they wouldn't move do you have any do you have any like memories like that from your childhood like where you just like did like crazy yeah i mean so i used to uh i used to do dumb stuff like all the time right and I'm an only child, but I grew up in a neighborhood with a bunch of neighbor kids, you know, and we, we all, we all got into skateboarding. Um, that was our thing back in the day. And, uh, back in the day, there was a movie 
called Dogtown and Z Boys that came out in about 2003. That it was a documentary basically showcasing the birth of skateboarding. And skateboarding originated in Venice Beach, California. Basically, you know, these, these guys were all surfers and they were looking for something to do when the waves were bad. And so they started building skateboards and then they started skating in abandoned pools because there was a huge drought in California in the 70s. And us being all like 13 year olds, we saw that movie and we were like, holy shit, like we need to do this. We live in central Virginia. There's not a lot of pools around and whatever. But I mean, we were in an up and coming subdivision. So we'd just be little street urchins and we'd go and we'd, you know, raid construction dumpsters and like build ramps out of plywood. Um, and I was on a K apostrophedic uh, walker for anybody that's listening to this podcast that has CP or knows somebody with CP. It's kind of the standard. It's open in the front, wraps around your back, it's got casters on the front wheels. And, uh, initially it started, we were street losing, um, cause the X games were big back then. So we'd all find the steepest hill in the neighborhood and lay down on our boards and just ride down the hill. And we'd have two kids at the bottom of the street, you know, blocking for cars and stuff. And then a couple guys up at the top of the hill. Um, and we started street losing and I got really annoyed having to sit at the bottom of the hill, just sitting on my board, waiting for people to come down and bring my walker. So then it occurred to me one day, I was like, well, wait, why don't I just ride the hill standing up? Um, so that's what I started doing. I started downhill skateboarding with my walker. Of course, this was all like pre-smartphone days. So there's no like video footage or anything cool. I wish we had GoPros and stuff back then. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that was really the genesis of the dumb stuff I started doing. And one one instance in particular sticks out in my mind because there was this really, really steep hill. Um, and I was riding a board called a uh, Flex Dex. So it's fiberglass and it's real, real flexible and it carves really well. Well, I had the bright idea because we're going down this hill and we're doing, you know, 20 miles an hour down a hill. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going down this hill. My buddy's driveway is here. When I get to the driveway, I'll just curve into the driveway because I can't carve on a board and actually like slide it to dissipate speed. So I'll just like carve into the driveway, kick the board out from under me, and then just run until I bleed off the speed. Well, I misjudged the, uh, I misjudged the arc of my turn. And when I went to carve into the driveway, I smacked into the front of a parked car. <laughs> and my, my parents were watching this and just mortified because it was a pickup truck. So the, uh, the walker hits the truck. Thankfully, it had a brush guard, so I didn't tear up the truck and set off a car alarm or something. But walker hits the truck. I go underneath the truck, and now I'm, like, on the board going underneath the truck and I come out the other side and I'm like, well, that kind of sucked. <laughs> and, uh, 
Yeah, that that was probably the most extreme memory I can think of from childhood as far as doing dangerous stuff. That's awesome. And I'm sure that, like, you said that there wasn't any smartphones back then, like, if that happened today and you videotaped it, I'm pretty sure that that would go, that would go viral with the house, with how society is. With how society oh, for is. sure. Um, so I, I'm trying, I'm trying to picture this. So you, you, you're on your skateboard and your walker is like, your walker is behind, behind you. So you're holding on to your, you're holding on to your walker while you're, while you're skating down a, down a hill. Is that correct? Yep. That's correct. Yep. That is. That, I'm just. I'm just trying to picture like the wheels on the walker. Like uh, your your walkers. Uh, you must run through uh, a bunch of walkers. <laughs> oh, I, I destroyed them. Yeah. Um, I think growing up, I probably had five or six different ones over the years. You yeah. know, a standard a standard kid might go through eh, two or three, depending upon how they grow, and I would just beat the tar out of them. <laughs> That's funny. Um, uh, so, uh, growing up, like, did you play? Did you play any sports? Like, uh, were you were you involved in anything like that? Or no, I so I was I was born in Florida, um, and so I grew up like fishing and uh being out on boats and stuff my godfather had a ranch outside of town and we would go out and like everybody would ride dirt bikes and stuff and i'd be on uh um i'd be in a go-kart i had a little um had a little yamaha 50 dirt bike that my dad got me when i was a kid with actual training wheels on the back but I was a kid, and I didn't understand the concept of the faster you go on a motorcycle, the more it's going to stay up. And I laid the bike over on me one day, and I almost burnt my leg on the tailpipe, and that was the unceremonious end of the dirt bike. I was like, no, I, I'm not doing this. But as far as like traditional sports and things, I never really did organize sports or anything like that. Up until we moved to Virginia in 2000, uh, I started adaptive skiing, um, and I did uh, what they call four tracking. I'm sure you're probably familiar with it, but for anybody listening that might not know what four tracking is, it's basically skiing standing up, um, and I had a device on the front of my skis called a trombone that keeps your skis from crossing. And then I use what they call uh, outriggers, which are essentially forearm crutches with skis on the end. Um, and that's how I would sort of steady myself and stabilize. And I did that for a period of years. And then in 2005, not to jump ahead, but just for the purpose of the story, in 2005, I had a bunch of surgeries all at once that unfortunately while I gained a lot of range of motion, um, I wasn't necessarily as diligent with my rehab as I should have been. I was an obstinate little 13-year-old, you know, and uh, so puberty hit, and I started putting on a little more weight, little muscles, you know, and so my body just couldn't keep up, and I wound up uh, becoming more of a wheelchair user after the fact as a result of that, and I tried mono skiing um and i just i don't do well in the cold i don't particularly like it 
from a palsy standpoint and a native Floridian standpoint, like not a big fan. <laughs> and uh, tried the mono ski, gave it the old college try, thought I could just kind of manhandle my way through it and realized there's a lot more balance and finesse involved. And uh, after, you know, two seasons of trying that, I was like, why am I paying money for the privilege of falling down a hill? Um, so that was that was the end of my sort of formal sports career for a long time. So that's, that's, that's really cool though. And I just, I just have to say that going back to like your first comment about you being in, you being in a golf cart with like, um, with everybody, not a a go-kart, not, not a golf cart. Um, it's funny because growing up, I, uh, my parents bought bought me a go kart so I keep up with keep up with the, like all my friends and the friends and uh, friends and my siblings and uh, I would I would be in my go because my zero palsy is like like more on the more on the moderate to severe side like all my four four all four limbs are affected like my talking and everything is affected so like I would be I would be like going up. Go on. I I would purposely try to jump the curb, <laughs> and then I would, I would like I would I was like high center and like that was that was like and during the days like I didn't like we didn't have cell phones like it was in the, it was in the nineties so like if, if nobody was outside like I got to wait there like high centered like for somebody to for somebody to come like get me off the like get me off the sidewalk but I thought, I thought that was I thought that was um, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, cool. But like going back to what you said about like sports, I read here on your profile that you're in 2019. You you did the Spartan, and uh, you did the, you did a Spartan race, and then you're a pair world champion bronze finisher. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. So yeah. So. And this gets into sort of where I'm at now. Um, Jumping back a little bit, in 2017, uh, I got into obstacle course racing. And for anybody that's listening, and even you who might not know what that is, um, obstacle course racing, the best way I can describe it is it's equal parts trail running and military obstacle course. So... You've got like cargo nets and walls and low crawls and like, you know, sandbag carries, bucket carries, just carrying weight and just doing dumb stuff in the woods, basically. Um, And this all came about because uh, in 2016, I went out to No Barriers, um, the adaptive sports conference that moves around and stuff. And at that time, it was held in Copper Mountain, Colorado. And at the time, I was using an adapted Segway with seats on it. And you can't fly with a Segway. The batteries are considered hazmat because of their size. So what I had to do, um, I took the seats off of my existing Segway, shipped them out to Colorado, and then the organizers of the event found a loaner Segway for me that I then affixed my seats to and used it for the duration of the conference. But while I was waiting 
for the segue to be brought up to the venue, um, you know, keep in mind, I'm on trekking poles, you know, I'm, I'm semi-ambulatory, so I can walk short distances, but, you know, my buddies call me Turbo Mantis, because I, I kind of look like a praying mantis when I walk, and, um, you know, I've got a pack on my back with, like, all my clothes and all my gear and stuff, and I walk into the uh, exhibition hall, and we're at 10,000 feet before you start climbing any mountains. So I'm just sucking wind. I mean, I am not used to this elevation. So so I get there and I'm like frantically looking around for a chair. You know, my knees are starting to give out. And I'm like, I got to sit like now. And I see this wheelchair sitting there and it looks cool. I mean, it's got knobby tires and looks pretty solid. And I'm like, that, yeah, this is cool. But more importantly, it's a place to sit. So I just hobble my way over, sling the pack off, you know, plop down into the chair. And I'm just chilling there waiting. It's before everything opens up and up walks some people. And they're like, hey, what's up? We're from Grit Freedom Chair. Like, what's up, man? I'm like, oh, is this your chair? Like, my bad. I just needed a place to sit. And I got to got to talking with them. The Grit Freedom Chair is an all-terrain uh, manual wheelchair. It's got a, a levered drive system. Um, it's all pretty much bike parts, so it's pretty resilient. And uh, got to talking with those guys, and I actually signed up to do a hike in that chair. It was really rad. I mean, I'm a pretty outdoorsy guy. You know, I hunt, I fish, I do all this stuff. So it, it jived well with what I like to do. And the Segway didn't really work well in the cold. Like the sensors freeze up. It doesn't like to fire up when it's cold. Um, and I was like, man, like I got to get one of these just to use for the winter time and maybe to take dove hunting. And uh, so I come back home and at the time they've, they've come down in price, you know, they're, they're affordable as far as adaptive equipment goes you know they're, they're like four grand um at the time they were like six and i was like man like how how am i going to how's this gonna work i'm just gonna start saving up you know and i'll get one eventually and the girl i was seeing at the time um she went behind my back and started a gofundme I hate GoFundMes. I'm like, I'm not a charity case, you know, forgive me, but fuck off. And, uh, well, she started the GoFundMe and next thing I knew, like half my freaking town had donated to the GoFundMe and wound up getting me a freedom chair. So, so now I've got this wheelchair and I'm just taking it on a couple hikes. You know, I went out with my godfather to this one uh spring area that everybody would go to like when I was in high school that I'd heard about it and never never actually seen it and I was able to get down to the spring and get in the water and it was pretty cool and you know I was finding use for the wheelchair but I was predominantly using the Segway more often than not and then uh I was working at a cigar shop at the time and one of our customers started an obstacle course race to raise funds for a nonprofit to give uh, service dogs to injured veterans. And injured veterans have always been, it's always been a cause near and dear to my heart um, because when I was in high school and using the Segway a lot, 
um, I volunteered for an organization called uh, Segs for Vets that gives segways to injured veterans to help them get around. So I was one of their trainers. And when he said that, yeah, man, th this charity gives dogs to vets, like, come out. It'd be awesome. You have this wheelchair. Like, it would just be good publicity. Will you do me this favor? Like, it would be good for pictures. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess. I don't know what it, I don't know what obstacle course racing is. I, I don't know, you know, what any of this stuff is, but sure. And he's like, don't worry about it. We'll find you a team. We'll, we'll make it work. So day of the event comes up and this was uh, June of 2017. He says, Hey man, I found you a team. It's called operation enduring warrior. It's a mixture of veterans and civilians, and their primary directive is they help injured veterans get through these obstacle course races. Like, oh, that's cool. Um, so I show up to this team, and there's actually a couple people that I knew from Facebook that are either like veterans or civilians in that community that I'd already known that were able-bodied. And I was like, oh, hey, guys, what's up? And, um, we set off on this race. It was, uh, I want to say it was a 5k, um, with like 20 obstacles. And, um, I set out on this race and one of the guys there is a guy by the name of Jonathan Lopez. He was an army ranger that was, uh, coming back from a deployment. He was over in, uh, Belgium training with the Belgian commandos and he was hit on his motorcycle on the Audubon doing about 140 and uh he suffered a it's called a brachial plexus injury so it, the arms the nerves that go out to your arms um are separated at the spinal cord so you still have like the arm but it's just dead and in his case it was traumatically uh amputated just above the elbow and Lopez is an absolute animal like this dude we call it getting lopez right like he's he's just persuasive and he's just a really really solid dude and i met lopez and he's like no man like you this this is not a one-shot deal like you're with us now you you gotta you gotta do more events and i was like huh and the next week i got rooked into doing um a 10k like a, a road march in uh, Fredericksburg. And then the week after that, it was like, oh no, now you're going down to South Carolina and doing the city ruck march. And the events just kept building and building and building. Um, and in, I want to say it was November of 2017, I completed my first Spartan race, um, which Spartan has three different lengths. There's the sprint, the super and the beast. And I didn't know anything about anything. I would have had, you know, had I known better, I would have done the short one. But the logo for the sprint, which is the short one, is red. And I was like, well, the Spartan shield looks cooler in blue. So I'm just going to sign up for the blue one. Not realizing that was the super with twice the length and twice the obstacles. I'm like, okay, cool. And uh, so I wind up doing this event with Operation Enduring Warrior, and to their credit, their primary directive is helping injured veterans 
first responders and law enforcement, right? They are not a civilian-centric charity. But on that same token, everyone that's involved with that group, it's all volunteer, and it is a mixture of veterans and civilians that all assist these injured guys through these courses. And I started making friends, um, you know, developed kind of a little family, and I met uh, a lady by the name of Erica Walker. At the time, she was affiliated with Spartan. And then there was another nonprofit that I've continued to run with called uh, Oscar Mike, which the Oscar Mike Foundation kind of same deal. You know, they help injured guys. Um, and a lot of a lot of their guys are spinal cord injuries, whether sustained in service or even after the fact. You know, their their founder, um, Noah Courier, is a quad. Um, he's a quadriplegic. And uh, but so I got to know Erica from Spartan and a couple of their guys. And one of the guys, Earl Granville, he's an above the knee amputee on one side. He uh, lost his leg over in Iraq. And he was talking to Erica one day because Spartan has what they call the elite heats, which are able-bodied athletes competing for money and like titles. And he's like, this is cool, but you know, there will never be something like this for us, meaning people with disabilities. And she was like, all right, bet. And Erica, she's like a bulldog, man. When she finds a cause that she likes, she just goes after it with everything she's got. And she was able to convince Spartan to develop the para-elite heat. So the first one was in 2018. Um, we were still kind of standardizing the rules at that point. Um, my particular team had two wheelchair athletes. Um, which was looking back a little bit of an ambitious task, you know? So, so we, uh, I forget where we came in that one. I want to say we finished like, I don't know, fourth or fifth out of like seven teams, you know? So not the bottom. I wasn't too upset about that. Um, but the following year they standardized the, uh, rules a little bit more and made it so that every team had to have an athlete in a wheelchair and we lifted the uh, point system from the Paralympics for like wheelchair rugby. So you're assigned a point value based on your level of impairment. So like lowest function is a one and highest function is a three, five. I come in at a two and your team has to range between, uh, forgive me, I want to say you had to range between 12 and 14 points. And you had to have one athlete in a wheelchair. And uh, so my team that particular year in 2019 was comprised of Logan Aldridge, which this guy is a single arm amputee. He is a CrossFit champion, like straight up national champion. The dude is an absolute animal. Um, Casey Ackery, same deal, right? He's just a Hulk of a dude, single arm amputee, um, competitive CrossFitter, phenomenal coach. And then my buddy, Jeremy Ogle, um, which Ogle, 
he's done it all, man. I mean, he, again, single arm amputee. Um, our official name was Team Still Loading, and we came up with it after the fact. We were like, man, we, we screwed up. We should have been Team All Right, All Right, All Right. Oh, palsy. Because <laughs> all of them were missing their left arms, coincidentally. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we took to the course in 2019, and, you know, we, we just we shot off like a rocket. We were actually leading the race for a good portion of time. And then we got to the obstacles that required, you know, two arms. And I'm a relatively athletic dude, but in terms of athleticism, I, w- I, w- I was the weak link on the team, right? Like those, those guys train and like this is their job. I'm just a guy that goes out and has fun. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we managed to take bronze in 2019. Um, and you know, we were on ESPN, all that jazz. It was really fun. Unfortunately, um, COVID kind of put the kibosh on the para division. Um, everything's, we're kind of rebuilding, you know, as best we can seeing what the world's going to do and what's going to happen. Um, but I, I know like Spartan in other countries, uh, one of the other competitors, John DeHaan, he's another phenomenal athlete. Um, he's a upper arm amputee and he has been tapped as the ambassador for Spartan para in the Netherlands, which is pretty rad. Um, so that's awesome. That was like, that was a pretty, like, that's a pretty incredible, like, um story and experience that you had uh at the end of or i i'm kind of curious i'm kind of curious i I have to have two two final questions for you um being being so active how how do you think um do you think that's uh that benefits your your um your that's beneficial for your symptoms for like kind of your symptoms of cp like being like staying staying active and um not not be not being sedentary like you you know what i mean like do you think that yeah yeah so so absolutely and this is something that i harp on everyone that i come in contact with with a disability but especially cp um you know bodies are meant to move right we're we're kinetic active beings and the moment you slow down and you stop your your body starts to rot like it's just the nature of things you're designed to move so the more active you are and the more movement you do physically the better off you're going to be but another thing that people don't necessarily take into account is the mental benefit of doing hard things um especially as an adult with cp i mean statistically speaking where it's something like like four or five times more likely than the general population to have like mental issues, whether it be depression, anxiety, you know, substance abuse problems, like all these other like bad mental things. And I mean, I've dealt with that myself as I'm sure you probably have and everybody else. We, we all get mired in our own heads sometimes. So by doing, by doing hard things and being active and, and, you know, training hard, 
when you're faced with an obstacle that you might not necessarily have planned for, um, it, it gives you the mindset of like, oh, well, this is easy. I can handle this because I just jumped out of a plane last week or I, you know, slogged through the desert for 20 miles or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that, with that, with that, um, mindset and everything you said. So at the, at the end of every episode, um, Tyler, I ask my guests if they have any advice for, um, others that are watching this that are in similar situations as themselves. So do you have any advice for, um, people like who want, who want to, uh, be active or even like get, be on, like try to do a Spartan race. Do you have any, do you have any advice for those watching? Yeah. I mean, I guess my, my penultimate is advice is just get out there and do it, man. Your, your biggest obstacle is the one between your ears, right? Like yeah. don't, don't listen to the self doubt and whatever else, you know, well, Tyler did a marathon or whatever, and he did this. It's like, yeah, but I started somewhere, right? Like, when I got my chair, I could barely make it to the end of the street. And it was just, you know, repetition and practice and surround yourself with good people that force you to be better and do the uncomfortable things and the hard things. So, like I say, you know, as you approach obstacles in your life, it's easier than you realize. Yeah, I totally agree. It's all about, I just kind of like reiterate what you said. It's all about, it's all about being like persistent, like, and like uh, persevering and things like that. So like, I can totally relate to that. And I think, I think those watching will um, have uh, a lot of takeaways from this episode. So thank you for being on, on, for agreeing to be on a guest on Spastic Chatter. Where can people follow you on social media, Tyler? Yeah, so um, admittedly, I'm terrible at social media. I'm better at doing than I am at posting. But probably your best bet to uh, follow me would be on Instagram. Um, my Instagram handle is Captain Ty, C A P N T Y. And my profile is wide open. You know, I don't have anything. It's what you see is what you get. Mm -hmm. So feel free to give me a follow or shoot me a message. If you got questions about anything, anything at all, man. Cerebral palsy, adaptive sports, outreach in your community, whatever it is. If awesome. I don't have the answer, I probably know somebody who does. So Awesome. Well, again, thank you for being, being a guest on this episode. I really enjoyed talking with you and if you're watching this and you want to be a guest on Spaz and Chatter just feel free to comment wherever you see this video and I'd love to have um, you as a guest so uh, check back next week for another episode of Spaz and Chatter thanks <laughs>